Okay, I guess we'll get underway then. So welcome to our studies of Ksav Kabbalah this evening. As we mentioned, we're looking at Parshas Miketz. It's just now uh, eight o'clock, so let's get underway. Uh, our uh, title for tonight is uh, Joseph's Amnesia. I uh, hope you haven't forgotten the title. Uh, if you have, I will remind you because we're getting to it uh, very soon, although not in the very first comment, which comes from near the beginning of the Parsha. So let me remind you, Parsha's Miketz begins with two years of days, in other words, exactly two years, and Paro dreams, and he has a troubling dream, two troubling dreams, and he is greatly perplexed by them. Of course, as we well know, the butler who two years before, was restored to his uh, position of uh, eminence as a member of the royal retinue and the inner cabinet. And he says, uh, I think I may know someone who can help. And of course, Yosef is summoned to the palace. That's actually worthwhile to recall uh, the uh, exact uh, sort of introduction in which the butler says, hayom. just trying to find that. Um, and he says, I'm recalling my sins from uh, earlier days. Vishami Tanus, it's a Perik Mem Aleph Pasuk Yud Base, verse 12. And there with us was a, was a lad, a Hebrew young uh, man. He was also in prison. He was a slave of the Sarhad Habachim, the chief executioner. We told him and he interpreted our dreams. He interpreted the dreams with uh, unerring accuracy. In other words, uh, the dream was interpreted in a manner that actually came to pass uh, a few days later. That's exactly what happened. So in the next passage, they brought him up from the prison, from the dungeon. He shaved, he changed his clothing. And he was then ushered into the, the royal presence. I had a dream no one can interpret it. And I heard about you. You can hear a dream and you can interpret it. So his brief was to interpret Paro's dream. Okay, so far, so well known. However, what the Mepharshim wonder about is how did Yosef have the cue or the maybe the chutzpah to go far beyond interpreting the dream? So, of course, he interpreted the dream, again, as is very well known, the two dreams about the years of plenty, the years of famine, the dream was repeated, implying that the um, events that Paro foresaw are happening right away, that the years of plenty are already upon us, and they will be followed immediately by the years of famine. So the Pasuk says, uh, in, in Perak Mem Aleph, Pasuk uh, Lamed Gimel, um, actually, let's go back to Lamed Beis. The reason the dream was repeated twice. It's happening. It's on its way, right? You know, it, it's on the doorstep. But then, and here's the point that I want to highlight. Yosef goes beyond that. And he has the, uh, like, um, 
I don't know, self-confidence or even the temerity to say, Now Paro should designate, should choose a, a man who is wise and insightful, and place him in charge of the whole project. You need a minister of the treasury. You need someone who's going to take charge of this important a critical project for the whole country. You've got to find such a person. So the Mephoshim wonder, how did Yosef have the chutzpah to, to talk to Paro about what he should do? He was invited to interpret the dream. So the interpretation of the dream he finished, and now he somehow uh, becomes an advisor to Paro, like a consultant, as if he's, his opinion was actually sought, which, of course, it wasn't. He was only engaged for the purpose of interpreting the dream. Okay, this is the question. So other Mephoshim ask it as well, but Ksava Kabbalah Kedarko, in accordance with his approach, has, a, a, I think, a very compelling explanation. And it, as always, uh, derives from a close, faithful reading of the text. So the Torah says, if you take a look, please, at Pasuk Dalid, at the very beginning of this chapter, verse 4, near the very beginning. So the Torah describes the dream, and at the end of verse 4, Pasuk Dalet, he uh, the, the Torah says that he beheld these cows that were emaciated, etc., and then Vayikatz Paro, Paro woke up. Not only that, but in the retelling, Paro also says in verse 21, Paro also says as he's relating the dream to Yosef, he says, Vaikatz, and I awoke. So you can ask, what is the relevance? What's the importance of waking up? I mean, the relevance is that, you know, maybe he was so like uh, shocked by the dream. He woke up in like in a cold sweat. Sometimes a dream is very vivid and maybe very terrifying or very inscrutable. So a person might be woken up by the dream and then he fell asleep again. But why does the Torah have to tell us that? And why does Paro even tell Yosef about it in the uh retelling of the dream, Vaikatz. According to Ksava Kabbalah, Vaikatz, I woke up, is part of the interpretation. It's part of what Yosef was summoned to interpret. In other words, the fact that it was a, a vivid dream is one thing. The fact that Paro woke up symbolized to Yosef that the dream is, the interpretation of the dream is, Paro, you've got to wake up. Don't, you've got to awaken from your stupor. Don't sleepwalk to disaster. Waking up from a position of sleeping is a metaphor for action. It's a metaphor for taking dramatic measures in order to respond. It demands a strategic response. So even though Yosef was not uh, engaged to advise on you know, the implications of the dream, but according to this understanding, the dream itself, the interpretation of the dream includes the fact that he awoke means that, Paro, you've got to take dramatic action. Don't sleepwalk to disaster. It's like the uh, communist Politburo, uh, he gets up and he's giving a, a, a talk to his comrades and he says, last year we were on the precipice of calamity, but this year, my comrades, we've taken a great leap forward. 
So don't uh, uh, just uh, sleepwalk to disaster or calamity. Okay, um, I, just uh, another little example, maybe a more apt than, than the uh, Politburo, is a famous Rav uh, Yosef Shlomo Kahanamin, the Panavijarov. See, he was known as a man of great energy, great achievement, great drive. We've spoken about him in the past. It's not the time to repeat it. But um, he once told about his friends or followers or admirers about his dream about how he's going to build a Panavish yeshiva in Bnei Brak and it's going to be a great yeshiva. It's going to have a dormitory and a dining room and it's going to have married student housing. It's going to have a grand base medrash. And it was at that time like uh, on the edge of uh, Tel Aviv. It was just sand dunes and barren hills. They said, Rebbe Dubas Cholom, you're dreaming. He says, you're right, I'm dreaming, but I'm not sleeping. So that's what Yosef said to Para. The waking up is part of the experience and that's part of the interpretation. Don't remain asleep on the watch. You've got to take action. And that's how he uh, you know, made that proposal. And as the Torah says, they recognize the wisdom of Yosef's suggestion. Okay, all of this of course, is merely the prelude. It's the means by which Yosef is redeemed from the dungeon, from the prison to the palace. And he now has been transformed to the viceroy. And the Torah says that Paro made a shidduch for him. He shot him off with a woman called Asnas, Bas Potifera, Cohen On, and the Torah describes towards the end of the third Aliyah, you find it uh, in Pasuk Nun Aleph, that y- Yosef now becomes a father as well. Vaikra Yosef is Shem HaBachor. So if you're with the art scroll, it's on page 230, Pasuk Nun Aleph, verse 51 in chapter 41. Vaikra Yosef is Shem HaBachor, Menashe. He gave the firstborn, he uh, bestowed a name upon him, Menashe. Very nice name. Well, it's a nice name because uh, it's become familiar to us. But what is the derivation of the name Menashe? Well, this comes as a surprise. Kinashani Elohim is called Amali, is called Beis Avi. Because my father, I'm sorry, not my father, uh, um, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's household. Kinashani Elohim, the word Nashani, not such a common word, it means to forget. To cause the Nashani Elohim, God caused me to forget. The word Nashani really means La'azov, to, to abandon, to leave behind. It's sort of the, the psychological distance or or like a separation, which is the prelude to forgetfulness. If there's something which I, an experience which I had, and perhaps it didn't make such a great or, or deep impression upon me. So as I distance myself, maybe chronologically or maybe in other ways from that experience or that person or that maybe something which I learned or I wanted to recall. But as I distance myself from it, maybe I can still recall if I try. But if I go further and further, then I, it's it's lost from my memory. And maybe I can recall it in the future. You know, maybe I can jog my memory. But that's what the Ksavah Kabbalah says. Nashani is Lashon Aziva, to, to like leave behind. And it precedes the Shikha, the, the entire forgetfulness. But in any case, the art school people do render it. God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's household. This is very difficult to understand. This is a surprise. Surely it's it's a, a, a terrible 
indictment of Yosef if he forgot his father's house. It's true, a lot of water under the bridge since then. It's true that now he years and years have passed. He's a new man. He's been elevated from the prison and from slavery to the palace. Okay, we can understand that possibly he's not obsessed or he's not continuously ruminating on his past because he looks ahead, he looks to the future. But is it not something to be ashamed of that he has forgotten his father's household? Okay, if he had said, I've forgotten, God has an enemy to forget my brothers and what they did to me. I've moved on. I've forgiven them for it. That's one thing. But he doesn't say that. The Torah doesn't say, es achai, my brothers, my, my uh, um, you know, um, brothers, <laughs> trying to think of a suitable adjective. Anyway, you get the idea. But what about, he says, my father, he forgot his father as well. And what's even more perplexing, really astonishing is that he's so, as it were, proud of it, that he names his firstborn for it. He names his firstborn as a kind of testament, as a, as a, a way of proclaiming that I've forgotten my father. Okay, you know, if he was turning is back on his past, we could understand it. But of course, that is not the case. We're talking about Yosef Hatzatik. What's going on? Moreover, Ksava Kabbalah says that this gives rise really to another question, which I am sure that we have all considered with regard, not a philosophical question, but a question with regard to this parsha of Yosef. Let's conclude, which as I think we must, that he did not forget. I mean, we're not talking about a, a, a boy who left his family when he was a young child. He was 17. He was 17 years old. I'm sure, he was very mature, very talented. Maybe behavior was slightly immature, but look, no question about it. He definitely did not forget them. Why does the Torah say this then? It gives rise to the question, why did he not attempt to contact his father? Why not? Why did he not communicate with him in order to relieve from his father the onerous, uh, unbearable burden of bereavement? The Torah says in last week's prayer, which Yosef may not have known, but he could have certainly speculated that his father would uh, uh, suffer under the uh, burden of the grief uh, so so acutely that last week's Parashat he could not even be comforted. But surely Yosef, Ksava uh, Kabbalah says, would be more concerned about his father's suffering than his own suffering. Why not get in touch with him? So he says it could very well be that while he was a, a servant and a slave, and certainly when he was in prison, he would have no means of getting in touch. He suggests, he speculates that the Mitzvim possibly uh, carefully controlled the communications of the slave population with the people in their homeland or the outside world. That is not surprising. And obviously, they didn't have Facebook in those days. They didn't have fax machines in those days. They didn't have aerograms in those days. Uh, they didn't have Pony Express in those days. Even uh, maybe they had, uh, you know, caravans that went from time to time. But of course, uh, you know, it would not have been so very easy as a, as a slave. But once he's elevated to the palace, Surely he could. Then he could have uh, sent a messenger or he could have written a, a, a letter and dispatched it with one of those, uh, you know, caravans that are trekking across the, the, the desert from Egypt to Mesopotamia or wherever it might be. Obviously, the same way that Yosef was 
was sent in a uh, um, uh, was dispatched or sold in one of those caravans, you know, they go back the other way as well. Okay, WhatsApp message, there are lots of possibilities, which, uh, you know, they didn't have WhatsApp, but they were, they were uh, opportunities. The Mofarshim asked this question as well. Actually, I saw in the article, they commented about it as well, but he says the following, which I've seen others have said it also, but he says it very beautifully. He says that Yosef as a slave was unable to communicate with his father. When he was elevated, and of course it happened, uh, according to the narrative of the Torah, very quickly, very suddenly, in, in a kind of uh, a dramatic transformation from the dungeon to the palace, now that he's the viceroy, he didn't send a message because he realized that he was witnessing, he was experiencing the process of the realization of his own prophetic dreams from all those years before. When he dreamt about the uh, brothers who were gathering grain in the field and his sheaf stood up erect and the others bowed down around him, he realized that this dream symbolized the fact that his brothers were going to bow down to him because of matters of grain, because of the upcoming famine after seven years of plenty. The famine would mean that the brothers would have to come. And when they would come, they would naturally prostrate themselves before him. But he didn't want to reveal himself and in, impose upon them the humiliation of bowing down to him knowing who he was, so he had to obscure his identity. And moreover, in the second dream that Yosef had about the dream of the heavenly bodies and the, the, the 11 stars, the sun and the moon, they're bowing down to him. So the moon represents, or rather the sun represents Yaakov himself, which means that the dream, which was a prophetic dream, which is a dream that Hashem had enabled him to behold in order to foretell his destiny and the destiny of the family and ultimately the Jewish people. In order to achieve that, he, Yosef, had to obscure his identity. Says Exava Kabbalah, the Torah here in Pesach Nun Aleph says, Shema Bechor Menashe Elokim. The word Elokim is the name of God, which is Midas Hadin. In other words, Hashem has prevented me. Hashem has, uh, Hashem has like, um, Place me in a position where I'm not allowed to communicate with my family, with my father. And Xava Kabbalah speculates that we know Yosef was a charismatic person. We know he had, he had uh, 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 you know, um, a gift of communication. Uh, we find that he found favor in the eyes of all who encountered him again and again, even though he started off as a slave, as we've seen in last week's Parsha. And he obviously wowed Pharaoh and his circle of courtiers to the point that they gave him this top job, you know, immediately. Such a person who, as I like to say nowadays, uh, had a strong emotional IQ. He was in touch with his feelings with himself and with other people. And he would have, just as he was beloved to his father, surely his father was beloved to him. And therefore, Yosef is saying that Hashem has enabled me, has enabled me to find the strength to resist communicating with my father. He has enabled me to move beyond uh, just go an insect in there. To move beyond the feeling of 
of despair and the desire to communicate with my father. And I have been able to remain focused on what I have to do in order to bring about the realization of these dreams. He even says that just as uh, a person who has a mitzvah of kibbut aim, but his obligation to honor his parents may not be at the expense of violating the mitzvah of the Torah. So if the parent, if the will of the parent is that the child does something which is contrary to the Torah, the child is not allowed to do it. In other words, the mitzvah of kibbut aveim has its limitations. So Ksava Kabbalah says, Yosef realized that the limitation of his kibbut av in this instance meant he was not allowed to get in touch with him. So that's why he called his son Menashe, that Hashem has given me the strength to resist the natural urge to communicate with my father. He suggests he would have thought about his father all the time continuously, but he managed to... Uh, as I say, maintain his discipline just about, I mean, with difficulty, as the Torah describes, in order to be able to bring about the realization of those prophetic dreams. I've got two short comments to make along the way, and then we'll end with a further beautiful uh, novel explanation of something, again, which I've often wondered about regarding this partial. But let me tell you the two short comments along the way, which are fine and, and lucid illustrations of the style of our friend Sava Kabbalah Rabbi Yaakov Tzvi Mecklenburg. So turn with me to chapter 42, verses 7 and 8. So the Torah describes the years of plenty that were foretold. And during that time, Yosef stockpiled all of the surplus grain, of which there were vast uh, quantities. And then the years of famine begin. And it wasn't long before the people of Canaan were constrained to go to Egypt to seek uh, grain. And Yaakov told his family, you've got to do it too, even though maybe they still had some stockpiled in their, uh, you know, uh, their storehouses. But nevertheless, Yaakov said, let's be prudent. Everyone else is going. You guys have got to go as well. And so they did. Now take a look at Patsuches. Vayakeh Yosef es echav. Yosef recognized his brothers. But they did not recognize him. The following verse says, Yosef es chalom. If you remember his dreams, are shechalam lehem. I'm sorry. I did the wrong two. The ches is the second one. Look at Pazuk Zayim. Pasuk uh, Zayin immediately before verse seven. Yosef saw his brothers and he recognized them. Ask Sava Kabbalah, why does it say Yosef saw his brothers and he recognized them? And in the next pasuk, which we did first, Ches Yosef why repeat that he recognized his brothers? Of course, it's true. It says that he recognized them, and the second half of that verse, and they did not recognize him. But still, you have to wonder, couldn't the Torah have been more economical with its language and simply have added the observation they did not recognize him the first time that it mentions so again, the question is, why does it say he recognized them, and immediately the next verse it says he recognized his brothers, well, we already know that. He answers in a very uh, as I said, uh, uh, um, astute way that fits very well into the the uh, choice of words. Vayakirem Yosef, they were familiar to him. He probably was on the lookout for his brothers, thinking they're going to come. And again, as we had just said right now, just before, this is the realization of his dreams, etc. 
But at first, he just thought they looked familiar. He couldn't place them immediately because years had passed. And again, Yosef was 17 years old then, a lot of water under the bridge, uh, 20 years or more had passed. They were um, uh, obviously 20 years older, and therefore he may not have been able to identify them immediately at first. So the first Vayakireim is he thought to himself, these men look familiar. But then then he was able to identify them. It's the difference between familiarity and recognition. He says, I know them from somewhere. That was initially when he began to engage them in conversation. Then he realized for certain who they were. The next short comment I want to make is, why did he accuse them of being spies rather than accuse them of uh, theft or sedition or some other crime? Take a look at Pasuk Tess. Uh, um, uh, just one or two verses. You remember the dream says, which he dreamt about them. You are spies. You've come to seek out the nakedness of the land. Why accuse him of spying? He says, very logical, which I always used to wonder. I mean, Rashi explains why they came in through different gates for different particular reason. They were searching all around because they were trying to find Yosef, which, you know, I'm sure makes sense. But, I mean, it, it's logical that they would have undertaken that project since they've got to go to Egypt anyway. Maybe they can still find him from all those years before. But Ksava Kabbalah says something simpler and very compelling. If they were free to inquire about who is this man, where is he from, what's his background, what's his previous name, you know, what's his education, they very possibly would have learned from some of the you know, gossip mongers in Egypt, yeah, he used to be Hebrew slave, and they'll say, where really, where did he come from, how long was he here, etc. By accusing them of spying, they were immediately afraid to ask any questions because they don't want to lend credence to his accusation. So immediately by accusing them of, of spying, he ensured that they would not dare to make any further inquiries because doing so would only could possibly incriminate them further and lead greater credence to his accusation and possibly to their conviction. So I think that's very close to the shot. I think it's very compelling. Uh, I don't know why I never thought of it myself, but I didn't. Perhaps you did think of it already. Let me conclude now with a final uh, fascinating comment. I know I say the word fascinating every year, sometimes more than once. So it's Pasuk Mem Gimel, uh, Perak Mem Gimel, chapter 43, Pasuk Lamed Dala, verse 34. This is the second time the brothers have come to see Yosef. Remember the first time he sent them home without Shimon, keeping Shimon as a, as a hostage. And he told them, you can only come back if you bring Benjamin with you. So they did bring Benjamin with them, eventually, uh, uh, against their father's better judgment, perhaps, but out of desperation. And he greets them, and he evidently welcomes them, and probably they were quite wary of what's going to be. They were, I'm sure, very uh, uh, aware, uh, very conscious of what happened the last time, but He's all smiles towards them, and they are coming to be his guests, and he seats them in a very deliberate manner. Each one is seated in a deliberate, specific place. Yosef presumes at the head table, and they're drinking, they're eating and drinking together. And it says in Posuk Lamedalet, Vaisamas Oxmais Panab Alehem. 
he sent portions from like the head table, maybe uh, individually selected to them, to his guests. And Binyamin's portion was increased fivefold. They, they drank, they even drank to intoxication with him. Okay. The interesting question is, this is an, an, an unusual phrase, the word masa, masa is a burden or something which is lifted or carried. In modern Hebrew, a masait, masait is a truck or a lorry is a masait, something which carries or bears something. The word kitisa means when you lift up. Naso is to hold aloft. That's what the word means. Vaisa, he like carried or he probably instructed the uh, waiting wait, you know, staff to, to transport, to bring, to carry masaos. And from the context, it's a portion. Rashi says here, masaos, manos, portions of food. And from the context, you know, it's logical that it's portions. Why use that particular expression? So Xavier Kabbalah says something which is consistent with what he mentioned earlier in Voracious, for those who've been with us from the beginning of our studies uh, of this uh, cycle of the uh, Torah reading, you may recall, I'll be brief. He says that the word ochel, excuse me, or rather achila, to eat, and ochel, which is food, derives from the, the word kilayon. Kilayon means destruction and like ruination. Kilayon. Because when a person eats, then whatever it is that he is eating is chewed up and is uh, broken down and is consumed and uh, releases its nutritive uh, uh, capacity only through the, the, the process of digestion. So whatever person eats, the nature of eating is that it is consumed. And that's why we find that the word uh, um, achila is sometimes used for, like I said, for consumption or for destruction as well. Like it says, um, they, are, they are our bread. We can consume them like bread. Or it says in, in um, uh, Vayikra, in, in the, the book of Vayikra, I think in um, Maybe in Imbuchosai. You will be consumed, you will be eaten, you'll be consumed by the land of your enemies in, in exile. But the word se'es or the word masa to uplift, to carry, alludes to the ilui, to the improvement, to the elevation of food. Because when a person eats food, he elevates the food. In fact, uh, uh, grass or or um, uh, any produce, fruit, vegetables, herbs that grow that are consumed, let's say by by an animal, uh, by a sheep or by a goat. So that food, that someyach, uh, that plant is elevated because it becomes part of a living creature, not just something which is. Um, you know, okay, a plant is alive in a, in a certain sense as well. That's called someach. But a high, something which is alive, is in elevation. Of course, if that Elsie uh, the cow then becomes a meal for a person, so that is a further elevation of the food because that way the person who is the most important uh, aspect of creation itself is sustained by the food which he or she eats. 
So from the perspective of the person who consumes the food, the, the word masa or, or here ma, uh, masaot is appropriate because it refers to the upgrade that the food gets. So if the food is, is benefiting a person, so that's an upgrade for the food. And that's why we have the word masa. And especially we find, for example, teruma. Teruma is the portion of the crop which is given to the kohen. It is separated and elevated because it is, uh, so to speak, uh, it merits that uh, barley or wheat or whatever it might be, is elevated because it's now dedicated for the consumption of a kohen or uh, someone of, who is worthy in that regard. Like the word romemut, terumaz lashon romemut laharim is also telifta. So that's why it says visamasos. And then he just adds at the end as a sort of, uh, not exactly afterthought, but a, a further comment of explanation. What, how could it be that Binyamin had a five-fold portion? How can he eat five meals? Okay, maybe if he's hungry or if he's a person of, uh, you know, generous proportions, he can eat, you know, double meal. Ruthie will say that I do that uh, sometimes, maybe more than once. But five meals, I don't think that that is normally to be expected. So he says that it doesn't refer to like meat or bread or fish or something like that, but rather it's like the dessert, like damier chocolate or something like that. You know, they normally you just have one. So he sent him a five portions. So something like that, which is eaten not for the satiation or for the nutrition, but rather for the, as, as a delicacy and something which a person enjoys as a, as a dessert. He said, that's what he meant. That's what he sent him fivefold as a gesture of special esteem. And all the Mephoshim say that it was, or many of them say that it was a way of testing the brothers to see whether they would be jealous of the, um, the favorable treatment, the sort of uh, uh, exceptional treatment that Binyamin was getting, just as they were jealous of Joseph, who also, of course, was the son of Rachel. So it was a way of testing them. But in any case, the uh, comment he makes about, about the masaos, about, about that, the manot, which are lifted up, is that food which is consumed by a person warrants that that term even though usually the word achila or ochel refers to the so to speak the um, breaking down and the the um, ruination of the food you know when it changes from being a cherry or a blueberry into into a food for a for a person uh, okay so let's just uh, summarize as we like to do we said vata yere paro yosef is giving advice which he wasn't uh, commissioned to do that wasn't part of his brief but according to what we've said vayikats paro the fact that paro awoke is part of the experience or part of the dream which requires interpretation and the interpretation is don't sleepwalk to disaster you've got to uh, awaken from your stupor and take definitive action and therefore he said that was part of his brief of interpreting the dream etc designate a person to take charge of this uh, critical project uh, then we said nashani elokim yosef's amnesia it wasn't really amnesia he the meaning is that hashem has enabled me to distance myself psychologically from my desire to communicate with my father in order to maintain the process that will lead to 
the fulfillment and the realization of those prophetic dreams. That's the, the, the meaning. Hashem has enabled me, has given me the strength to maintain my composure and my, you know, uh, uh, conceal my identity until the dreams have actually been fulfilled in accordance with the prophetic vision that I was vouchsafed all those years before. We mentioned first he thought these men look familiar and then he was able to identify them. Yeah, these are definitely my brother. That was two stages. We said he accused them of being uh, of being uh, spies so that they would not have the uh, sort of um, you know, temptation and they would not be able really to ask around about Yosef, who is he, what's his background. They would not dare to lend more credence to the accusation. And finally, Rashi says, Manos portions of food, because the word masa refers to the elevation of the food which is consumed by a person, especially a person of, uh, of stature. So thank you, everyone. Thank you to everyone. Chanukah Sameach and uh, Shabbat Shalom. Also, it's a pleasure to be able to wish Mazel Tov to uh, uh, our good friend Rabbi Yitzchak and Nancy Ziskin our good friends, I should say in the plural, uh, on the um, uh, wedding of their grand, uh, tell me it's a grandson or granddaughter, I'm afraid I'm, I'm not that up to date. But anyway, and uh, we should only have good news and reasons to celebrate uh, for all of us, everyone in this year and the rest of our kihil as well. So I wish everybody Shabbat Shalom and Chanukah Thank you very much. Thanks. Grandson. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank Amazing you. as usual. Thank you so <laughs> thank much. You. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Beautiful ship. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Rabash.